All right, Wayne, we were just off air talking about how the Baldies are taking over at Manchester United. So not only uh, are you on here and you have, you know, many strong links to the club, of course, and Omar Barada, the new incoming CEO, bold, Ten Hag, bold, Patrick Stewart, the outgoing CEO, bold, Mitchell van der Gaag, the assistant manager, bold. Are there any others? Star striker, Anthony Martial, bold. Well, you started so strongly. And then you took a, a sharp turn. No, like like I was saying off air when you launched into this bold hate crime, you're welcome because obviously the positive change that is abounding yeah. on Manchester United is, like you said, it's all connected to the follically challenged brotherhood. Um, yeah, right. you're welcome. Well, you're yeah. also saying off air that there's no way you're going to work for that blue bastard. No, no, no. It was. <laughs> so, so yeah, I guess we ought to get into this because it's the big story of the week, isn't it? United being very un-United like and surprising absolutely everybody with a with a move, which I think broadly everyone's welcoming a, a real football operator coming into the club, and and the yeah. announcement on ManUnited.com saying we are going back to putting putting football first. I was like, wow, Joel did not pen yeah. that. So yeah, changes afoot. Yeah, I'm a very cautious speaker, but I, I found so there are certain elements with the appointment that I will be cautious on because, like you know, you said a couple of on the on the pod where we talked about the announcement, and you said things can't be worse, and I said, whoa, 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 things can get they can always get worse, <laughs> um, bringing my usual rate of positivity into it. But with the appointment, I am going to be cautious about it because. How many times have we said that's a sensible decision with signings, all, all these kind of things, and they've turned out to be not so. We don't know how it's going to impact, and obviously it's a long time until he's actually in post working and we'll see the changes. And, you know, again, we're looking for instant reaction. I know I will get to one, but when I always I always sort of say with positions like that, you've got to see sort of 12 to 18 months and that we're kicking the can further down the line with him because obviously we've got another six months. But I the thing what you've just said there with the statement and putting it back, putting the football club back, the team back at um, the forefront was really compelling in a way because I mean, you know that every word is pointed in these kind of um, statements. They're, they're very carefully crafted, and to put the the term back in was very very deliberate. It seemed. Oh, yeah. Seemed very, very yeah. deliberate. And for you, when you look at something like that, you it, it tells you a couple of things. The first thing is that, obviously, the current, still the current owners of the club, the, the majority owners of the club, don't really care that much about how they're perceived anymore because mm -hmm. it's such a broad statement to make in terms of mm -hmm. the critical aspects of the what it's representing. Yeah, and the other thing is that it's a really aggressive move from Ratcliffe and Ineos um, to to say something like that. It's carrying on this wind of change, and I think more than anything, more than the person, even even though I know we'll talk about it, more than the person, the little word, a little four letter word, can make a massive difference. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from it. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. The I did immediately, as soon as I read it, I was like, mm, there's a very broadly worded non-disparagement clause in the uh, in the tr sales transaction agreement. I mean, it's very broadly worded. And it was one of those ones that I I'm going to just assume this was run past Tampa or Washington and they're in different places, aren't they? The Glazer family, because you could interpret that in a certain way. And of course, during the sales process, the very lengthy sales process, there were stories and like, let's take them with a pinch of salt because I think a, a lot of reporting was very bad during this process, as we've now found out. But saying the Glazers were offended by the Qataris, saying we're going to put United back at the forefront and so on and so on and so on, right? So I don't know whether any of that was true, but it didn't half, like, trigger something in my brain when I read it going, hmm, this is interesting. But more more seriously, you know, I think we're right to be cautious. I In the past, I've criticised the club for putting learner drivers in charge of an F1 car. And in a sense, we're doing this. Now, he's not a complete learner driver, 
But he's no more experienced, really, than Richard Arnold. Now, it may be in a different type of experience, and it is a different type of experience. But he's, he's never had a CEO job before. This will be different. He's been CEO of City Football Group for the last three years or so, which yeah. is a, a big job. 11 clubs in the stable, and you can kind of see where that might be useful in what might turn out to be a multi-club group at United. Yeah. But he's never actually had to run things. He's been seen in some circles. Uh, certainly Sam Lee, the city correspondent, was saying he was seen as the heir apparent. So, yeah, fine. You know, he comes with some kudos, but I think a little bit of caution there because he's stepping up into a role he's not had before. And, of course, there's intrigue because he's coming from City and what that represents and, and so on. But, yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, I think it's positive. Just the nature of who he is. He has come from a commercial background, but it was it was partnerships and yeah. moved uh, more into the football operations side of things afterwards. So cautious optimism there that this is a different – well, it's definitely a different direction. And it's outside yeah. the circle of Manchester United. And I think clearly we need new ideas into the club. And yeah. so, yeah, let's, we can all feel pretty positive about it. It's not going to change the makeup of the football boards. I mean, it's still going to be Brailsford and Jean-Claude Blanc representing Ineos. So you see already ownership has split themselves some operation, which, again, I think yeah. is positive. You want to put the best actors into the best roles and trust them to empower them to go and do the right thing. Again, this is just standard good practice from management, manage, world management consulting, which I know very well. So yeah. it's, yeah, I, broadly speaking, I feel pretty positive about this. Already the moves, there's, you know, the thumbprint of Ratcliffe and Ineos all over it. There was a piece in The Athletic this morning saying they're actually taking a broader view, not just football operations. So clearly we can see that because the CEO of the club overall is not just football operations. And so, yeah, there's change and boy, if we needed it for a long time. And, and, and the other thing I'd say, and it's probably the last piece of praise I'll ever say about the Glazers, but I think they've recognised it. And we saw in the accounts, you know, they had a £1.2 billion in debt of various different kinds, some of which is due very soon. Those, the, those primary yeah. bonds mature in 2027. And then there's the revolving credit matures in 2025. And about 75% of our transfer activity is due in the next two years. So there's an awful lot of money about to disappear out of the club. And I think they have recognised that they are not the right people yeah. to operate this club now. Well, we, we you've said, and we, we have discussed this ever since. We can even go back to, and I'm pretty sure we, we talked about it at the time with Casemiro and Anthony when we signed them, and it was like, where's that money coming from? That's going to impact the club in, in the medium to uh, long term. And we were talking about that, and I think realistically, you would have known more than me because you're from um, the background that you are. And the understanding that you are that this was coming to a head, but we did. It's not something that um, would be a surprise for anyone listening to this podcast because we have talked about it before about how how swiftly those things were approaching, and that's why you know one of the things that I talked about um, quite a lot was my non-plus reaction to Champions League football. Not so much last season. Last season it felt like it was critical for for a number of different reasons. This re- this season not so much because of the the balance that you've got between the short-term gain and the long-term health, if, if you didn't get that, it forced a situation where they would have to seek not just investment, but cataclysmic changes, which they have done. And, you know, like, yeah, that's happened. I will say one of the reactions I have found funny, predictably, has come from the city aspects of the Manchester Evening News, and there was something I read about why Manchester United's appointment is an implicit understanding that Manchester City are innocent of everything because, yeah, it's such, such a convoluted piece of nonsense. That, But he went into it, and basically it was kind of like Manchester United fans don't... This was... this was a, this, I don't know if it's City's main correspondent because I don't read it that closely. I, I don't think it was. It's Kel, is it Kelso? I don't know if he's City's main correspondent for... Yeah, I don't know. Paul, Paul Kelso. I'm sorry, oh. it, yeah, he may be Paul Kelso. I think it was him who wrote the piece, but I don't know if he's the main correspondent. He's just he's just the person who wrote it, and I'm not picking on him. It's just that he will. Well, I, I guess I am, but I, I'm not meaning to. It was just the way that he worded the his piece, and it, it was very clearly stated as an opinion piece and not a fact piece. But his his take on it was that Manchester United fans have accused Manchester City 
with no evidence that they've done anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Bit, no listen, evidence. <laughs> and, and then, and then he said, but if they have done something wrong, then won't they look like idiots for taking C's COO? You know, and I thought, yeah, what, yeah. first of all, what a strange way to say, don't speculate, because speculating is wrong, but I'm going to speculate and you should believe this speculation. It's such a, that part in itself, I mean, yeah, you can say what you want about journalistic standards. That was disappointing to read from the regional newspaper. But yeah. it does, that is the wider point, because if you have, I haven't, but I saw someone tweet about this, and ventured over to Blue Moon, the the widely renowned and beloved Manchester City forum, there was a thread, forum thread, that was something like 300 pages on this news alone. And they were all, I dipped in because everyone was saying it was funny. I dipped in and read a few pages and they were all singing from the same hymn sheet, kind of like United are admitting that we're not culpable for any wrongdoing. I thought, yeah, interesting take, interesting well, take. What I would say on that one is I'm assuming that United have done the due diligence. His name does not appear in any of those emails that Rue Pinto, the Football League guy, came up with. That is that is above his pay grade. Also, the core time for the inflated sponsorships was before he had any real power. As yep. I said, he's quite he's actually quite new to an executive role. So I'm I'm gonna assume that the due diligence has been done there and this guy didn't it didn't have, it doesn't have his fingerprints all over some of the crimes. Now, what, were they crimes? Absolutely. I mean, Seferin, since we're talking about it, the UEFA head said yesterday, and he's, you know, a lawyer of long renown. You can debate whether he's a, a UEFA executive of good renown, but, you know, that's another topic. I said they were sure he was guilty, and Rupinto, Football League's guy, was saying on Twitter, yes, I know. He knows, everyone knows they're guilty. And and I think the two things are very separate. I mean, it would be classic old school United to go hire a guy who then gets banned <laughs> or something like that. But yeah. I don't think so in this case. I, I assume that he was well away from that. Now, was he part of the executive team that's culpable for some of the later FFP infractions where they've spent too much? And they are two very different groups of charges against Manchester City, and they do align, right? So one of them is absolute rampant conspiracy to lie and cheat and break the rules. So that's the one block. And this, and, and that's most of the charges, the 115. And the second block are around the actual breaching of the, of the limits, the financial limits. And they kind of do go together. Now, he may well have in a football operation sense, some kind of culpability around the breaching of the FFP limits, of which they've been found guilty twice, by the way, uh, and may, and there's a bunch of, there's a block of potentially more guilt to come. So the second piece is slightly different, right? Because the club as a whole gets punished, not individuals. The first piece, which is the conspiracy to defraud, basically, now that's really serious. That's really serious. Yeah. And that's where all the emails from the lawyers, from the general manager, from Abu Dhabi have all been exposed. You can go read about them in the Spiegel or the Football Leaks. I don't suppose that website's live anymore since he went to prison. You can go read all of that. It's all in the public domain now. And like, if you read all of that and then conclude that there was no guilt there, you've got a very creative mind, I'd say. Anyway, it's, it, this will play out, but I would be extremely surprised if Barada is caught up in this in any way. Let's yeah. just say that. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm glad that you explained it in a very digestible way. Um, I just <laughs> thought it was amusing to see, uh, amusing and predictable, obviously, to see that that would be their response when, like you said, some of the evidence is so plain that it's embarrassing if you miss it, especially if you're a Manchester City correspondent. Yeah. Um, well, look, part, part of the, we now know part of the sports washing playbook is, and, and you know, I take that in the broadest possible term, not just the reputational piece, but part of it is to weaponize the, the fans. And part yeah. of the reason I was a little bit suspicious about whether the Qatari bid would ever come to fruition, although I think I definitely some cognitive dissonance here, but part of the reason I was suspicious about that is that you can't play the playbook in quite the same way. Yes, United fans are sort of desperate for success, but not in the same way that Newcastle and City fans were. Mm. And you can't just build and, and, and take everyone along for the ride in the way that Newcastle and City are playing. So the Newcastle playbook is the City playbook. It's just that the Premier League clubs have got wise 
after City executed on their 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 uh, strategy and gone. Well, you can't make up sponsors because you have to run everything by us. They can't be of inflated value, and you can only spend what you make within broad limits. And it means that Newcastle can't do what City did in exactly the same way. They're doing different things. Like they've got their stable of four PIF-owned clubs in Saudi, plus four who are owned by companies that are owned by Saudi. Funny, that, that's never mentioned. Eight of the 12 clubs are Saudi-owned, basically. And that's a ready pool of... Clubs just go buy Newcastle players at inflated fees. Yeah. Some people may say, I couldn't possibly say was that, it? of course. So. Almiron is the latest. Yeah, yeah, it looks like he's um, the latest. You know, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, we yeah. can talk about them next time we play them because um, we've given them enough airtime in the past. Um, but yeah, uh, that's um, right. I do enjoy the, the idea that it's not as transparent as. It obviously is the idea that, like I said, through the through the pursuit of sports washing, you have this core element of supporters of passionate supporters of whether or not we dislike them, and I guess we do. Manchester City fan, Manchester City is a club, and Newcastle is a football club. They are traditionally very well supported clubs, right? So we're talking like over. 30,000 gates and even yeah, yeah. for all we want to mock them for empty um, stadiums and like for million and two fans who were stood on the hill at Ewood Park, City are a traditionally well-supported club um, by the comparison of what what well-supported means and Newcastle obviously are. Yeah. To see that many people, and we all know because we've all experienced it, if you've talked about football online, to see when you've put posted something common sense about this and see that many people defend it in a way that's so irrational is it's already having consequences it's funny to see newcastle hamstrung in the way because i I feel like there's a few um, like forest and everton coincide in that mea culpa i I know it pertains to their own individual cases and the their own cooperation in, and mm-hmm. punishments and everything like that. But I, I do think that maybe there's like a little devil in there to sort of say like, well, we're cooperating. We're the ones saying do everything because City's pushing this out and lack of cooperation is going to be, it already is telling. And, and Newcastle, because of everything that's happening, can't operate in the same way, which is why you're seeing this desperation to get the players yeah. going to Saudi. And I, yeah, yeah. Um, in, uh, it's bad for the game, but it's good for the game. It's necessary. It's like lancing a boil, and this is a boil. It's a massive stain on the game. And if this is what we have to endure, this kind of nonsense, mm. um, for Newcastle fans think that they've been hard done by because they can't sell Almiron for 900,000 million to refund uh, like a, a massive overall of the squad. There, there's a, a, I mean, and so do Everton fans and Forest fans, by the way, but it, yeah, the, the thing that people don't get about FFP, you know, they like the Everton fans, and in fact, Andy Burnham, mayor of Manchester, have framed it as some kind of conspiracy against their club. But that's not what FFP is, or profit and sustainability, as it's called. They admitted their guilt by filing the accounts. Right? If they yeah. wanted to challenge their guilt, they should have cooked the books. And but they filed the accounts. The accounts are black and white. The the magical thing about numbers is sure you can interpret it, but the rules were breached. Everything after that is up for debate, right? So within the yeah. power of the the way the the Premier League has constructed it with these independent commissions and the open ended nature of the punishments available. Now that was for the clubs to decide whether, as part of their the rules of membership, and it's a members club. Whether it was for the clubs to decide how that punishment framework was constructed. They decided together, 20 of them, or at least 14 who would vote for it, that they would leave the independent commission to like decide guilty or not guilty. And in fact, you have to self-confess your own guilt, basically, in PSR rules. Uh, and then they'd leave the punishment open-ended. There was a recommended framework around points deductions for every 10 million of breach. Recommended. It didn't have to be. But the fact that like the fans are going, oh, there's a conspiracy against us is total and utter nonsense. It's total nonsense and just kind of yeah. couldn't be so far out of the 
uh, out of the reality and truth of how the rules are constructed, but but fans being fans, everyone's against them, right? So um, United fans would be the same, by the way. If we got found guilty for a breach, we'd all be, oh, you know, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's yeah, it, it's just not like that. Now, we can have an argument and a debate about whether points deductions should be the right thing or it should be financial or what the punishment should be for City when they're inevitably found guilty. Um, there's a good debate to be had about that, but the framework is there for the Premier League as a collective to go decide. It's like if you joined a golf club and they said you have to wear a jacket to have dinner and you go, no, I'm not wearing a jacket. But when you walked in the door without the jacket on, you were guilty of breaking the rules, right? So don't complain about it. You broke the rules. Now, you may not like it. Don't join the club. Uh, I think as I put yeah. on City uh, on, on Twitter, it, like everyone complaining about the rules they signed up to. You you sign up to the rules or you fuck off. City could go yeah. play in the Abu Dhabi Stars League if they wanted, I suppose. Probably wouldn't, <laughs> would they? <laughs> At some point, I mean, it's very, it's it's an order of magnitude more complicated, City, because there are obviously the 115 charges and they're grouped into these kind of two blocks. And the conspiracy and the, the fraudulent stuff and the, the financial stuff and... And it's obviously going to be very difficult for the Premier League to work the way through that, especially since City have taken on this kind of mantra of non-cooperation and litigated absolutely everything. I mean, they spent four years yeah. in court, which often isn't yeah. talked about. And they're challenging absolutely everything. The framework, whether the rules can be enforced, the the punishment framework, whether the Premier League have jurisdiction over this, everything. So, yeah. uh Magical stuff, isn't it? <laughs> all <Beautiful>. right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, it's a new dawn for United. And uh, uh, hey, personally, I don't think uh, multi-club ownership groups are healthy for football either. And I, I'm sure this is something mm. we come to over time with United, who are at the dawn of a multi-club ownership model. It's not really there yet. But given that Ineos have functional control, or Ratcliffe does, and Ratcliffe has functional control over Ineos, it basically is. Right. So, and UEFA will take a view on this at some point, and they may have to have different management teams in place as a result. But I will come back to this, I'm sure. I, I don't think it's healthy for football. I don't think it's healthy for football to have private equity involved in, in football in such a strong way. And there's more than 70 clubs now have some kind of private yeah. equity money. And I don't, th- I definitely don't think it's healthy for state clubs. Unfortunately, I think the, the horse has bolted and we're not shutting the door on any of these things just at the moment. Hmm. What next? What next? So we've got the ownership stuff out of the way. Should we talk a little bit about the women's team and then get on to get on to Newport at the weekend? Yeah. Well, this is a you know when you're talking about multi club ownership and like I guess the exploitation of the the brand over um, different regions. I would be surprised. Don't worry, I'm coming to the women's. We've moved on to this topic. Um, I'd be surprised if United go down the avenue. Surprised? I don't know. I, I just think because United's brand is so powerful to itself, like that, to give it away to, like, say, Melbourne United, would be a curious one for me. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't see it because I'd, I think the power is in the exclusivity. But I, I don't know. A sense of reason. But the point is, especially when. The, something in their own backyard that can fairly operate under that brand and deserves to carry the name um, is so um, woefully underfunded as the women's team have been. And yeah. um, I don't want to put on repeating the same things I said last time we talked about this, but I think what we're seeing now is like a it's like squeezing of the toothpaste tub in it. You know, like earlier we were talking about oh, on the last time we were talking about the women's team, we were talking about the difficulties that they've got with the funding. But it, it is there's a mirror of the first team, the men's team, with this because Mark Skinner, obviously, everyone knows what a great job he's done from the start. And it is a little bit like Ted Hogg that to a certain extent, you look at everything that he's achieved and you commend him for that. Then you look at the balance of the credit that he's got in the bank. And there, even, even, taking into account the struggle that he's had and then wondering, has that magic gone? Is it difficult? Is it going to be too difficult yeah. to turn it around from the position that he's got? 
with the funding that he's got at the moment and are United, is Mark Skinner, is everyone better making a clean break of it? Not like right now, I'm not saying anything as drastic as that, but are we looking at something that looks like it's time for a change? And and I feel like um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of advocating for changing managers, but you look at this and it's difficult to find a conclusion other than that, because it just feels like it's like the, the the vibrancy's gone from it. Do you know what I mean? Like there was such Oh for sure, yeah. Even 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 yeah. getting to the final last season, there was such a powerful vibrancy and I feel like the idea of wanting to kick on from that and not being able to kick on from that and the struggle that they've had, sooner or later that struggle wears people down and it wears them down to the point and like I'm talking in an environment, not just Mark Skinner. An environment where yeah. you think the change is probably for the best for everyone. And I, my hope is, and I'm talking like, you know, we're talking after the, the, the very disappointing uh, result at Chelsea. And it was, mm-hmm. this is the, this is the point is that Chelsea, it, it looks like a result waiting to happen and it did happen. And it, and it looked like it was mm-hmm. like a, a result waiting to happen in the way they did that Chelsea were going to exert dominance and look much, much stronger. And we were hoping to see United over this year. Make progress that they could stand stand toe to toe with them, and you know, mm. and, and, and have a good game with them. But they looked further apart from them in in the weekend's game than they did in the cup final. Yeah, and that, that that's the concern for me because then I think like, and I know you can look at Russo and you can look at the herb situation and say, yeah, we can understand that, but he still doesn't he still doesn't make it right. Do you know what I mean? Like with Tenog, he's still not going to sure. make it right if he if he's gone in the wrong direction and you can't get it back then. It is time to make that change, and I think that's oh yeah, unfortunately where we are with Skinner. And I, I, I my hope is, my hope is that there's something that he can do, like this uh, back to the wall mentality, and, and sort of galvanise some some unity within. And I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it can be done. Mm. So that's what I'd like to see from that. It just looked very, very difficult at the minute. Well, they've lost their. Well, what they had last season was a real defensive solidity, and and they've lost that yeah. this season. And. And the golfing class at the weekend against Chelsea was very apparent, but also in the in the match what a month ago against City as well. Oh, there yeah, was a big yeah. golfing class then, and uh, I think it's seven points to the Champions League place. It's too much to make up in what is a much shorter season in the women's game. So United won't be in Europe next season. No secondary competition. So it is a step backwards in those contexts, of course. And there was a heavy symbolism in Lauren James scoring a hat trick for sure. And we could definitely go, okay, she always wanted to go to Chelsea. Her brother's there. She wanted to be back in London. And you can say that that uh, Ono Bache always, was always going to go back to Barcelona. And that's why we lost her. And you can say, well, they didn't make the financial offer to Russo before she'd committed to Arsenal. That may well be true, right? There's, there's good excuses, but also they all point to the club not the, the women's side not being run in quite the same way, not yeah. being resourced anywhere near the the men's game, the men's team, and and you can also say yeah, at some point there's a tipping point, and if you're going to lose half your games or there's quite a few losses and a lot of draws this season, if you're not if, if you're going to fail to win half your games, especially with a number of mid ranked teams, so outside of City, Arsenal, and Chelsea, also being quite ambitious in the women's game, then United may well go backwards. Yeah. And, and that's what it feels like. It's The team has gone backwards. There's a lot of frustration amongst fans who are there every week and the support for the team is fantastic. But there's a lot of frustration amongst those fans. A lot of frustration with Skinner, who doesn't seem to use his squad quite in a way. And maybe he doesn't trust these players, yeah. but he doesn't, he doesn't use his squad. And United brought in eight players in the summer. Maybe a lot of them were punts and not quite as good as we thought they were. There's been some unfortunate, yeah. yeah Miss Awa has been injured a lot. Yeah, I think uh, Gazer has shown her undoubted quality without really scoring the goals. Malad has scored the goals, but not always been in the team. Some of the defensive yeah. players may have gone backwards. You know, like there's been a lot of things you could kind of point to. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, we're probably in an environment where there'll be a change. I don't know who that would be in the summer. I wonder whether they could uh, convince uh, Laura Harvey to come back from the States, being one mm. of the sort of top top names in coaching. She's at OL Reign near me, actually. Um, uh, but who knows? Just speculating on that one. But, you know, the, the whole operation, I'm sure, 
I'm going to assume the focus of the Ineos team is on fixing the men's team and the club structurally, but there's going to be a view on, do we have the right facilities for the women? There is that new building. Could there be better facilities? Undoubtedly. What kind of budget does the women's team have? It's quite healthy in women's yeah. terms, but it could be more. It's very easy to dial it up uh, if United want to invest more. Do they have the right resources? They have a much smaller uh, operations team, so scouting and general manager. There is a director of football for the women's team, uh, but a much smaller team and nowhere near the 150 scouts or something that, that are employed by the, the men's operation. And then is the coach right? And I assume if they're going to look at that in the same way they've done with the men's side is they look at it from the top down. Do we have the right people in place structurally? And then we'll work our way down to coaching and players. Yeah. We... And, and so been... as a result, we may well get some changes. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's it's funny to see, not not funny, it's curious in the interest of an observer in the sport, right? So to see the differences, obviously, that are obvious in the men's and women's game, how much of it comes down to budget. Um, but in a fledgling sport, which this still is, um, in terms of the, the uh, women's Premier League and the recency of that, I mean, um, obviously, I know it's been around for for generations. I'm talking about the recency of the the women's Premier League and United's relative newness to that as well. You are in the men's game. We can sit here and we can talk about trends and we can say, "Well, there should be patience because of the injury crisis." We could talk about, like I've done ad nauseum, unfortunately for you, over the the course of the season, where you can talk about the peaks and troughs and you can analyze trends and you've got a good background of being able to analyze why these trends are important because there's a really good track record of evidence that suggests what the outcome will be not always guaranteed that's why we love football in the women's game what what makes it so compelling and different at the moment is first of all like you said the supporters are getting frustrated because they want to see fast moving evidence of progress progress now normally i would sit here and say no support should have a longer term view on that i don't think so in, in this case because there's no longer there's no longer roots there's no big oil tank to turn around the problem is the lack of they like said lack of resources so they've got every right to look at the the ratcliffe and Ineos situation demand greater like you said operational resources which is what we'll talk about in that on that regard the other thing is, and yeah, it's somewhat tied to Russo and the, the, the defensive losses that we, we had over the summer. But the, the the secondary issue there is that there's such a big turnover of squads in the women's game that extreme changes in, in results and performances can only be expected. Now, that's cross-gender sport. That's the, There's no cross-sex, sorry, sport. That There's nothing unique about that because if you turn over players in such a way that there's no consistency within the squad you can't generate a proper consistency of performance and result and you are going to get a massive differential in, in and that's what we've seen with the united women's team this season and you do tend to yeah. see that with a lot of women's teams is that because they they tend to have high turnover of players they can't generate that level of consistency so f- from that aspect and from that perspective, it's easy to empathise with the, and I'm not one, um, I'm certainly not one, um, and I, so I can't preach to to those hardcore supporters who go week in, week out, and they go um, around the country following the team. But I can definitely empathise with their point of view in saying that they're frustrated because they want to see progress. Because in the short term, Manchester United still has a powerful brand name that they should have been, and they were capitalising on because I think they were capitalising on that to keep Russo and other players for as long as they have, like two very popular players who love United. They've capitalised yeah. on the brand to be able to have these very market, marketable players around, but they're not moving forward with that. It's kind of like they're using, it felt like for maybe the last two years that they were using that to get to, to elevate themselves, but when it's become time for the players themselves to have a, a stage, the club stood still because of the lack of resources um, that we've talked about in the past. And the things that we've seen that are common in, in the women's sport, United are dealing with in, in a hard way at the moment, and they shouldn't be because they should expect 
better at this moment in time. They should have expected better over the last 18 months. They've got every right to expect better. The progress we can see is more down to that lack of resource than it is the management. But either way, it always, again, across the sexes, it always comes back down to the manager. The manager will ultimately buy the bully at the end of the day. Well, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, short, short term, there's a question around Mary Earp's contract. It seems like she's just going to run it down and, and leave for a bigger opportunity. And you, in a sense, you can't really blame her, really. This is going to be a, her last contract. Contracts in, in, in women's football are getting more healthy because there's more money coming into the game. But... They're nothing like the men's. She's not going to be yeah. set up for the rest of her life in, in in any sense. And it's hard to blame her to if she's going to go get a nice, healthy pay, payday, right? It's really hard to blame her. Maybe the club are planning for it with Fallon Tullis-Joyce. Maybe not. We've hardly seen her. I think she's playing a couple of games. So, I don't, yeah, don't know. But, yes, it's it's an easy... In a sense, it's easy to fix. We're, we are going to get, with more money coming into the women's game, we're going to get slightly longer contracts, so there's more stability yeah. coming. It's not there yet. There is still high turnover. As I said, I think it was eight players United signed in the summer, eight or nine. Yeah. But we're going to get a bit more stability, and it's quite easy to dial up investment because it doesn't cost the club overall anything in FFP terms. There are mechanisms you can use to boost your women's budget like licensing fees and so on in order to and it's like five and a half million the budget is so it's not exactly going to strain the club given that we just chucked 35 million out the door in interest payments this year so it's, it's an easy one to dial up but as i said i think i think they'll look at it top down and go okay how many resources do we need to make this a a, a club that a team that really challenges and is there value in it I hate to bring it back to money, but there is value in it because the women's game is growing and 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 as we've seen, yeah. can be extremely popular. A new TV deal in the UK. There's expansive coverage over here in the States of women's football, now part of Dazon or Dazone. Dazone, yeah. Yeah, at, yeah, Dazone. Atta Football was, was brought up and NBC show WSL games. There's talk about the Champions League expanding or even a secondary UEFA competition going to happen in the women's game so you can kind of see there's opportunity there both to be successful and to make money and united should be in a very good position to go and go and leverage that because one of the biggest brands in football uh, and there's a the, the 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 gap between united women and the top of the women's game and united men and the top of the men's game is less substantial even if it looks not that great this year i yeah. think the the ability to brand Bridget is is easier. So there's a yeah. great opportunity for United to go if if the new ownership are willing to do it. There's, there's the other thing to consider with that, just to add on the end of that, is that there's only... The women's game isn't going to go backwards from this point. So there's going to be, you would say, in the next generation, at least two accelerations of popularity. When they come, I don't know. But, you know, like after a major tournament, you'll get a massive surge in popularity. The obvious place where that's going to happen is in the English um, Women's Premier League because that's where most of the eyes are for the men's game. It makes so much sense for United to invest in this because they should be at the forefront of it. And they still, like you said, the bridges aren't that great to build and they should be at the forefront of it. There's, there's no reason why they shouldn't. The opportunity is there and that, there's every reason to believe while we're being optimistic about the direction of the men's team, it's not going to get neglected. It's just going to need now, and hopefully that that's not going to... The actual... We'll talk about now seeing the new CEO and everything like that. Very clever decision. Hopefully they'll get best in class for the women's team as well and drive that forward. Because, like, yeah, it can't afford neglect over the next five years because we, we're at the precipice of something really good with the women's sport and yeah. United can't afford to be left behind I don't think they will be, I, I, I just think it's a difficult moment in time and like I said it's easier to, theoretically it's easier to get there Alright, before we go, there's a cup game the weekend against Newport. I, I was on the 1812 Exiles. They're nicknamed the Exiles Newport, and they were founded in 1812. 
this is the extent to my Newport knowledge. I was on the podcast this week talking with them about it, and I, I probably attached a few clips of the conversation to to this, or at least their view of Manchester United. The two clubs are separated by 80-odd league places, but the distance between them in terms of finances and history is even more colossal. And, you know, I think we're going to try and plug this episode partly to Man United fans who want to find out a bit about Newport County. So, you know, let's, let's get into it. You've only got to back, go back one generation or so when Newport County were playing in the very, very lowest reaches of non-league football, having been forced to reform following bankruptcy, play over the border in England due to a legal wrangle with the Football Association of Wales. But we battled and worked hard, restored our status as a football league club. And all right, we are not the most glamorous club in the world, but we're now an established fourth division side with a proud recent history of cup runs. And, and I guess this is the point. You know, we have shown that we can occasionally upset the form book against sides from the top flights. And to get to the point where we've got probably one of the biggest clubs in the country at home is really exciting. And there's a real buzz around the place. You know, I, I'm a bit closer to it than, than you are down in London. And even in Cardiff, where I live, I dropped my kids off at school on the Wednesday morning and I had three people come up to me at the school gate saying, can you get us a ticket? Can you get us a ticket? You know, so there's a proper buzz around the place. And I think it's definitely one of those that piques people's interest in the club including those who perhaps aren't normally coming through the gates of Rodney Bray. Suddenly there's people who are taking an interest in us who otherwise might not be. And, you know, we can all, we all want to make sure that the, the whatever it is, 8,000 Newport fans who get into the game a week Sunday are proper Newport fans. But you also want us to grow the fan base, right? We all want to have that. So it's this sort of game that helps us to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um... I think the fact that, yeah, we're all forgetting about the Wrexham game uh, at the weekend. We're recording this before the Wrexham game. Obviously, that's a sellout, yeah, prior to the the new stand, yeah, the temporary stand coming in. Uh, it might still be there for the Swindon game the week after. Like, there's three massive home games in in the space of a fortnight, which is, um, yeah, it, it, it feels like really big time for the club. I mean, speaking of that, do you feel like all of those tyres, you know, the, the FA Cup games, they have to be at home? I I just feel that adds to the allure, doesn't it? Yeah, listen, people, someone said to me earlier, oh, do you not wish you'd been drawn away for the money um, that you get from a game at Old Trafford? And you think, no, have them at home. Try, give yourself the best possible chance of beating them. It's something that really strikes me, that if you talk to any fan of a lower league club or a non-league club and you ask them to rattle off, what are your three favourite games, your five favourite games? They will often be memories of either cup upsets or nearly cup upsets you know I've, I've said before I think on the pod my favorite Newport game was nearly beating Spurs at Rodney Bray all right we didn't do it but we came bloody close to it and that's that's what it's about you know I don't want to go and get a big payday at Old Trafford although I won't say no to it if we get it in the replay I want us to have them at home best chance of winning all the media there sensing the chance of an upset that's what it's all about I know the FA Cup has, over the years, seemed to become less important, but I think this is absolutely the perfect type of fixture for the FA Cup. This is what it should be all about. And obviously, at the end of the day, a Premier League club is going to win the the FA Cup, and it'll probably be one of the big boys. But an away trip to a League Two side, absolutely perfect. It's been a long time since United have had this kind of fixture as well. Yeah, yeah. But this is where I now go into our history with Newport. You'll be relieved. Yeah. You'll be very relieved yeah. because that's my part over. <laughs> yeah. First time we played them. Seven, seven and a half thousand people. So it's a, it's a small ground. And they're kind of interesting history in Newport because they, they've sort of been reborn twice. They they were founded yeah. and then they went bust in the late 80s, were refounded as a Phoenix club, fan owned, and they just sold out fan ownership to a single owner because I think they were struggling to to make the ends meet as a fan-owned club. So now Hugh Jenkins, who was the owner of Swansea for a while, is now the, the owner of Newport. And so it's a sort of new dawn. Whether that's good or not, I don't know. We'll see. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's a 
about what I gathered from the conversation. In terms of the team, obviously United going to spank them, but I think if you, as you've said, <laughs> I say obviously, so maybe I should remove the word obviously, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Um, but as you said, uh, this team does tend to play down to the level of the opponent quite a lot. Um, and uh, so I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't yeah. expect a a, a Chelsea Middlesbrough style shellacking and uh, it be a comfortable victory, but no more than that. Yeah, I, I do think you're probably right with that. Like, yeah, you'd like to see a show put on. Everyone wants to see the team win by four or five goals or more than that in, in an environment and an occasion like this. But it is away from home. It's football being what it is. And my cautious disposition being what it is, I would normally be here saying, oh, well, the Cup's the Cup and it's United are in, still in a tricky stage. But sometimes there are chasms that are so great that you, the point is that if Newport beat us, it will be a sensational upset. So you do have to treat it in that regard. So I, what yeah. you want, really, and I, I won't let... Newport supporters down with this. What Newport supporters want is a little bit of overconfidence from Manchester United because they want they want their victory to be sweeter by us predicting big wins. Really, yeah. that's the romance of the cup. And so really we should be expecting United in any shape or form. And not by the way, I, I was um, looking up not United's history with Newport, but United's history in the FA Cup um, since the turn of the century. And guys, like a Manchester United team with Rooney and Ronaldo went to Burton Albion, played against Exeter at Old Trafford, and we had to go to replays in those games. Like, we have had some yeah. dismal, dismal cup ties with, with much better teams. So yeah, yeah. I, nothing is surprising, but you would expect this United team to effectively do what they did against Wigan, which is do enough to keep them at arm's length, have enough quality in there that the result will be comfortable, and yet still have something about the performance that makes you disappointed. And I don't know, <laughs> not not anticlimactic, but things like Bruno going down so easily for a penalty. Yes, it was a penalty. Yes, all that yeah, yeah. pullover. It was a penalty, but it, it, it was a bit silly. And the fact that we only won by two when there's that kind of lack of conviction about them. And that's, unfortunately, it's endemic in this Manchester United team that that lack of conviction is, is so prominent across everything that they do in terms of their ability to do anything in any competition. And that is why we talk about this levelling up and levelling down is because they don't, yeah. they have this belief that as I sounded like um, Drago's wife from Rocky Four, they have this belief that they are so much better than what they are, but they do. Like there's this belief that they are a, a, a Manchester United worthy team, and mm. I'm not here to say that they're not worthy enough to play for the club. But we're talking about worth of winning titles, and they know that the players know that because the proof is in the pudding, as we've said, as we've said many times. But they still have the confidence of a team that has won medals that they haven't won. And that, yeah. the disparity there is evident when they can't put a team like Wigan away. They they play like a team who's beating Wigan 5-0, but they're not beating them 5-0. And so that's exactly the same kind of team that we're going to see against Newport. The same kind of mm. performance, no matter who's on the pitch, unfortunately, because there's still too many. There's an imbalance in the number of players that we can play with that attitude. Yeah. And, well, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if we had um, a bunch of younger players on the pitch? And that's not disrespectful of Newport. It's just I, I don't think younger players play like that, right? They are hungry and um, exactly, they want yeah. to win. They've yes. got something to prove. Uh, yeah. but, but unfortunately, that we won't see that many because, well, two reasons. One, Ten Hag doesn't really gone. like to do it. <laughs> They've all gone. Yeah, three reasons. Ten Hag doesn't really like doing it. They've all left the players who like Hannibal and Dan Gore. And, and there's so many injuries anyway that yeah. it's going to be quite a strong team, like whatever way. The squad's just not, it can't stretch far enough. I mean, I, I suppose we may see, maybe we'll see Omari Forson, who's been on the bench in recent times. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, people at youth level really like him. There's a question mark around his contract and whether he's going to stay at the club. Um, and also, I think, a new dawn in how United think about think about younger players. If they're not going to, if they don't believe they're going to make it, they're going to try and sell them earlier. Seems to be the, the philosophy now. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. But in, in anyway, I, I think we'll see quite a strong side. There, there, there's not a lot of scope for for it not being and how that will play out well we'll see but I suspect you're probably right about like this is not a killer side one player we're not going to see is is Anthony Martial who's had a groin injury and he's out for another 10 weeks he appears to have been out for the last 10 weeks he's had this mystery illness I don't know whether that was a groin injury or, or what we were never told he was just quote unquote ill yeah and and now we know exactly how ill he is. Uh, so I was, I was trying to count it out. Ten weeks from now is February, March, well, beginning to middle of April. He takes quite a long time, so I suspect longer. And he takes a long time to kind of get ready. Historically, he's said when he thinks he's ready. So probably more like end of April, beginning of May. And you start to get into the question mark about, right, will he ever play for the club again? Because he's out of contract in the summer. So here we go. Big prediction from you, Wayne. Will Anthony Martial play for United again? And do you want him to? You want a farewell game? Testimonial. Is he closer? I'm trying to think. Two years from just one year from a testimonial. What, what year did he join? Again? 15, 16. 15, 16. He's a Oof. year away. I have predicted. Like I predicted. Not, not predicted. I. I didn't feel that there was any way he could play for the team again after the Bournemouth game. I, I couldn't see it happening, and it happened. So I can't see him playing for the club again, so I'm predicting that he will. So that's <laughs> that's the first thing. The, sec- the secondary thing is that how well, that impacts the game of the weekend is that Hoyland will probably start... He's undoubtedly going to start and hopefully score a few goals. But Ten Hag has to use that game because there's no two ways around it. He has to use that game to find an alternative to Hoyland. So you're probably going to give him 45, 50, maybe an hour. You have to try something completely different for that last half an hour in terms of the front player, not Rashford, because he said that he doesn't like playing there, so if it's Folsom, if it's another solution like playing a false nine or something with the, because mm-hmm. we've got inside players from the outside to come in, he has to do that, like that's not even, I wouldn't have even thought that there's any other consideration that he has to do that because that's become such an emergency and he doesn't look, unless the, the silly stories are true about either Chupo Chapu, is it Chapu or Chupu Chupu and, and yeah. oh Benz, Benzema, no discounting the fact I, that I, we've I, been I, someone in. Yeah, we've got to find a solution. So I, I would predict that's the only thing I can. I can't predict with any certainty about Martial. Unfortunately, I would. I, I would think that his time has probably been up for two or three years. Back that only leads me to believe he'll probably play again because Martin has has done that. But the, the strongest prediction I've got out of it is that surely, surely the emphasis for most of the second half on, on Sunday is going to be, is it Sunday when United play? The emphasis yeah. has got to be United finding an alternative to the, to what's happening in the front line. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, you're right. They need one because form, fitness with Hoyland and United are really screwed. So, I mean, we've got a week left of the transfer window. Maybe they'll look to do a loan. I can't imagine they're going to spend a load of money on it. It seems the noises are more around exits at the moment. See whether that happens or not. But yeah, there are no options, basically, other than uh, other than Hoyland and Rashford, who, yeah, as you say, doesn't want to play there. So, I mean, Joe Hugill, who would have been one of the options, gone out on loan. So, it's there aren't even youth options really. Mm. I wonder whether we'll see. Casemiro and Martinez, they both need minutes. This is a good game to give them some minutes. I don't doubt either would play 90. They've had a lot of training recently, but obviously not a lot of games. Big question mark around whether Luke Shaw's ready. I don't think Mason Mount is yet, and Harry Maguire definitely isn't. Who Mm. else? Victor Lindelof's still out. Back problem. 
back problem, thigh problem, both problems. Can't remember now. Whatever. He's broken. So they, they, yeah. I mean, it's really Casemiro Martinez will be looking at to see whether they get some minutes, if only with Casemiro to show that he still has value. They're trying to flog him to Saudi, which they may or may not be. I don't know. So well, if Almiron is worth eighty million, then Casemiro is going to be worth about hundred and sixty million. So uh, yes, please. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I still like him. I'm surprised he didn't play any minutes against Spurs and that we went with him. He was on the bench, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, surprise, not surprise again. But yeah, I would expect him and Martinez to to start up because it's a cup. It's the only thing we can win. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Got, they've got to get, they've got to get minutes. So from that perspective, it's going to be. It is nice to well, jokes aside and everything like that. It's nice to see. Nice to take on a new team that we don't have any history with. It's nice for that. It's nice for the FA Cup to bring that up. Yeovil a few years ago was one, wasn't it, that we hadn't played before. Yeah. So it's, it is I think nice that's the last get... time we had a a proper lower leagues kind of team in the cup, isn't it? I mean, that, it wasn't that Alexis Sanchez debut or one of his first games, anyway. Yeovil. Good grief! Did he it? score uh... in that one? No, I remember Herrera like... scored. A great goal. Herrera scored. Did, did Sanchez score the other one? I can't remember. I remember him like thinking, oh, yeah, this is pretty good hmm. game debut, like early in his time. And us all getting excited about it. Anyway, what a what a time to be alive. Yes, well, Alexis Sanchez I, at Yoga. No, no, no. I, I, actually, you underestimate me, Mr. Ed. Never. I would you never underestimate me. Because I of a prescient reminder every year, and it came around recently. The Sanchez um, story came up on, you know, and I put my time up while well, I'm on my Facebook at the time, and the time up reminds me all the time every year that I'm not, I wasn't sure about him from the start. I'm like, mm-mm. At the time, it was, the reason why was because Martial and Rashford were playing from the left and they were playing quite well together. And so, like, they were... They, the one time that Martial was motivated to do something when they had competition, and that was the moment. And then we had a little bit more competition and all that. Um, and way off track there. Um, back to uh, Newport. It's nice to play a team that we've not played before in the cup. It's nice to, like I said, like when you learn something about their a new team's history and like you actually establishing a relationship with their connection. There is an history there now that. And you won, I won, because we've got too many clubs with this really pathetic rivalry. And the, the rivalries can be about nothing. You know, like Sunderland in 2012, suddenly they didn't like us, so they started celebrating. There, there was no historic rivalry there. Why create one? Right. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah. But, Stoke um, fans used to do the same thing. Yeah. It's just so. like why? Why? It's because obviously it's because United and they want to antagonise him. He's a big fan, big travelling support, and everything like that. But you do find, you do find all of those clubs generally describe United as the best travelling support. They, you know, they still like United coming to town. Um, Newport, they're gonna like that. Um, yeah. All right. It's going to be good. We'll leave it there. Good luck at the weekend, lads. And good luck to the new team of Baldies that are in charge of United. Barton, Brailsford, Barada, Ten Hag. Ben, you Bandigarg. should have just gone Ben, ben Bog and he's carried on with the B. Yeah, I is should it, ju- it, ju- just made up some names and everyone be, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, no, no, is, um, is it Phonejacker going way back in the archives for Phonejacker? Was he full? Yep. He did the thing where the guy who just says bees, burr, 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 burr. I'll have to find someone will tag me in the tweet with it. But some, there was a guy, nice. a character in it. He just said bees on the phone or something like that. And, and yeah, so you, you were doing such a good job until you got to Ben Hort, Ben Bog. But yeah, you had to say it properly. So. All right. We'll leave it there. Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you again next time.